When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Planet Football's podcast. My good friend, my colleague, my partner in crime, Grant Wall, is away on vacation. But guess what? I have brought in the big guns. I am so happy to bring one of my favorite people in the world, Mr. Kevin Egan. Kev, how are you, my friend? I'm great. I'm buzzing to be on the show with you, have a little laugh and talk about the beautiful game. Thank you. That's too kind of you. I'm thrilled to be here with you, though, for the next hour or so. For those who don't know, Kevin uh, is a busy man. He, um, obviously, aside from covering Atlanta United, he's also now going to work, be working with CNN uh, World Sports. Is that right? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I just um, signed up with CNN, so I'm, I'm going to be filling in as host every now and then, but most, mostly you know, as a soccer correspondent. So covering everything from Champions League to weekend games around the world as well. So it's been a lot of fun in there so far. I'm looking forward to developing the soccer content and as much, getting it on air as much as possible for all sorts of regions around the world. It's crazy how far CNN World Sport goes. After you do a show, you have interactions with people from Africa, from Asia, that are all tuning in, whether it be in the hotel rooms or at home. So it's nice that my parents get to watch back in Ireland too. Yeah, that's great, Kev. I'm so happy for you. And also, you know, that means that, you know, your lovely wife will have to do all the hard work now that you've moved house. You have no Louis, I'm currently, you should see my setup right now in talking to you. We've just moved into a new house in Atlanta, just got the Wi-Fi set up before the show here. And uh, my little uh, toddler is, is kind of running around the house here trying to find trouble in every single room. So <laughs> it's been fun. We're, we're thrilled, though. Thrilled to have a little bit more space. Well, we are happy. I'm so happy. And I'm so happy to have you. Let's get things going straight away. Listen, so normally we would obviously begin with Europe, the Premier League, even El Clasico, of course, which was such a big thing. But because it was week one, we have to begin with Major League Soccer and MLS. There's been so many storylines from this weekend. So just to do a little list of what we're going to go through, we're going to go with MLS week one. We're going to talk about some of the highlights of the weekend, some of the lowlights, and you know a few expectations of what's to come as the season moves on. We will move on to the Premier League. Liverpool losing to Watford is obviously the biggest talking point. We'll follow that up with El Clasico. And we'll finish, by the way, as you all may or may not know, Kevin and myself are faithful Villa fans, so we have to talk about the League Cup final with Man City and Aston Villa. But moving on 
To begin, let's go with MLS. Kev, let's talk about a few results. Obviously, uh, the biggest talking point uh, from your end came, sadly, uh, later on Sunday with Joseph Martinez, uh, the Venezuelan number nine for Atlanta United, suffering a torn ACL during its uh, 2-1 win over Nashville. Really, really disappointing news. What do you make of it? It's heart-wrenching for Atlanta United fans and for Joseph Martinez. And a lot of players get injured, Luis. But there's not many guys that I've ever met in broadcasting and covering the game that live for the game. And this is the important point on Joseph Martinez. You know, a little story for you. Last year, we're in the middle of the season, and Joseph had started to rediscover his form. And I'm walking outside the training complex, and I'm going back into my car, and Joseph pulls alongside me. And I said, uh, how are you feeling, Joseph? And he looks at me and he smiles and he just says, I just want to score goals, man. I don't care about anything else. And he joked and he kind of drove off and gave him waves. And, and I thought about that an awful lot because it's so true. He's got that similar drive that's so hard to find in footballers. You know, Ronaldo has that same individual winning mentality. Joseph's a team player, don't get me wrong. But those individual accolades mean a lot to him, like they do for someone like Ronaldo too. And for Joseph to, to miss time, is devastating. He always thought that the, pre- the preseason um, and excuse me, the off season was far too long. He said, "Get me back out there. I just want to play." Mm. And that's the thing about him. A lot of guys can can be okay with this. They've got families. They'll 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 use the time to recuperate, read some books. And I don't know Joseph overly well, but what I do know of him is that missing time in the field and having to watch Atlanta United play and not be part of it is devastating for him. But for Atlanta United, they've got to move on. They picked up all three points in Nashville. Epic scenes there. For anyone that missed it, 60,000 people in Music City was a joy to see. And Atlanta United, I felt, deserved winners with goals from Barco and Emerson Hyman. And now they must go and replace the irreplaceable. No one's done what Joseph Martinez has done over the course of three years. 82 goals in three seasons, including playoffs. That's just simply remarkable. So, I, I think it's really difficult, and, and, and already you see the rumours of even a guy like Daniel Sturridge, potentially, who terminated his contract with Trabzonspor in Turkey today. So it's going to be fascinating to see what Carlos Bocanegra and Daniels can do. Yeah, absolutely. That was the biggest thing that we were talking about, really about, you know, and something that I tweeted pretty much once the news came out, which is, listen, like, obviously this is just... Uh, a tragedy for Atlanta United, Joseph Martinez, and and Venezuela too, as the, as you know, as it gets ready to uh, do World Cup qualifiers. But this is a big thing for the league as well because Joseph Martinez pretty much represents MLS in many ways, at least the MLS of now, the South American um, hungry striker who not just motivates his team but he motivates an entire city. I mean, the 2018 MVP. You mentioned the goals and the hunger and the drive that he has just pushing everybody on so we wish him all the best but like you said the job has to be taken now by Carlos Bocanegra and Atlanta United who are they going to get yeah. you mentioned Daniel Sturridge I think that actually in many ways is a no-brainer but I'm also hearing Inter Miami is probably also going with it but there's a lot a lot of work to do for Atlanta uh, but to me goals talent skill uh, aside which obviously he has and brings bags of, to me, is about just the personality that, that's going to be missing on yeah. that pitch. He, you, you've hit the nail on the head there. He's a winner. He inspires people on the field. He looks frustrated. Even if you're winning 4-5-0, or five nil, he'll look frustrated if, 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 and he'll, he'll bark at his teammates if the passes aren't right. So he was harping on you know, Brooks Lennon to get his, his service right to, to Joseph. and He's just such a big miss in terms of his personality. 
on Saturday against Cincinnati, it's, I'll be broadcasting the game with Fox Sports South, their home opener in Atlanta. I, I think they'll go with Adam Jan up front. Played with Phoenix Rising last year, scored 17 goals in the USL. Played with San Jose and Columbus in MLS before that. He's someone who's very serviceable. Honestly, he really is. He's underrated, I think. And he can lead the line. He can be that focal point up front in a different way to Joseph. The most underrated aspect of Joseph's game, I think, is his hold of play mm. and his ability to bring teammates into it. And, and, and something Adam John is quite good at. So I could see him doing well against Cincinnati. But after that, they've got to find a replacement. And who knows? They could go completely and utterly ambitious and out of left field. I, I even thought of a guy like Luka Jovic who couldn't even make it to the realm. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean... What if you could grab someone like that until mid-July? And say to Real Madrid, we're going to get this guy scoring again for you. We're Absolutely. We're going to get his confidence back up. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think that you need to just really open the specter just to finalize the point because there's a lot to more to talk about in MLS. But, you know, somebody like, you know, Leonardo Campana, who just moved to Wolves, he's playing for the under-23s, you know, he he could be offered maybe like a six-month term, a seven-month term with a, you know, with a longer option. You never know. Yeah. I just think that Atlanta United has just like Kid thought outside of the box with Miguel Almiron and, and, and so forth. The same thing needs to happen right now because the key thing is the identity. You have to maintain that identity. Um, Absolutely. Let, and on the last point on Joseph, I mean, yeah. Atlanta United did do that. When they signed him, he had scored seven goals in 56 games for Torino. Mm. He was a winger with Torino and they identified him as a striker in a similar way to the way Austin Wenger saw Henri as a striker as opposed to a winger. And they've totally transformed his career. And likewise, he's transformed the city of Atlanta and the sporting landscape in Atlanta. So they've got to think outside the box, as you say, be ambitious with this and, and bring someone in who can keep the fan base alive and well, because right now they're devastated with his loss. Yeah, I don't want to keep going on about it, but I wonder if the Bowers ix uh, connection might have something to do with it in the future. We will see. But let's talk about the other big uh, headlines. Obviously, LAFC beating a resilient, albeit imperfect, uh, Inter Miami, the, the rookie now in the league in front of uh, you know the Bank of California Stadium fans. Carlos Vela with a ridiculous goal. Um, again, for me, Kev, he is... Uh, the best player in the league right now and LAFC my favorite to win the whole thing we can talk a, a lot about that later but LAFC is looking good and the thing about LAFC right now obviously it's just week one but they are wiser I think now and mm -hmm. players like Brian Rodriguez as well who is now more comfortable in the league you know seems more comfortable obviously Diego Rossi but they look like they have a mission to make and yes it's just week one but I think uh, we're going to see some good things from LAFC this, this season Agree, yet I'm watching the closing stages of that game and I'm watching Pizarro win a free kick in the 94th minute and thinking, LAFC could have dropped two points here. Mm. If Miami were really ruthless and Pizarro had another chance and he was diving in for a cross and uh, you know he couldn't quite steer it toward goal, they didn't show that ruthlessness and obviously Lewis Robles was very good in, in goal too, but they didn't have that cutting edge that we've seen before. Week one, as you say, they get through... Uh, the barrier already of CONCACAF Champions League to the next stage too. So it's been a really positive start for him, uh, for Bob Bradley, that is. And also Carlos Vela, uh, like to, to score that goal. And honestly, Luis, I don't know if that was the best goal of the weekend. It may be the best individual solo effort, but the one that says, wow, to me, if we can, if we can touch on some of the other goals, San Jose Earthquake, 2-0 down at home against Toronto. Toronto looking really, really good. All of a sudden, San Jose get back into the game uh, they get a goal back through Andres Rios. And then in the 95th minute, Osvaldo Alanis, 
Yeah. A Mexican centre back, a centre back yeah. from a ridiculously tight <laughs> angle, does what Tony Cross did in the World Cup, does what David Beckham uh, did for AC Milan, uh, and, and scores. Nobody expected him to shoot, but it was the most audacious attempt at that stage of the game and it's up there we saw some brilliant golazos this weekend yeah no that's a very very good call it was a good day for uh for a lot of uh, mexican stars obviously chicharito didn't score la galaxy drew with houston dynamo that was another great goal from pavon uh but also alan pulido scored as well um yeah. for sporting mm-hmm. kansas city winning 3-1 uh, Selayaran for Columbus Crew scored the only goal against NYCFC after losing um, a man early on. Ashano got a red card. Uh, so, you know, it was a, it was a definitely a really exciting uh, weekend of action. Is there anything else you think? I have a few more things, but do you think there's anything else that, that stood out to you uh, from opening week one? Minnesota. Going away to Portland and picking up three points, we saw this team mature an awful lot under Adrian Heath last year. And a lot of different teams would have been tempted to let a coach go after uh, a really poor start to the franchise's history. Yet Minnesota have been flying under the radar, probably because they came in at the same time as Atlanta United and they stole a lot of the headlines. But to see them come through like this, go away to Portland and perform the way they did and, sh- and have an identity too, show, show uh, a ruthless counter-attacking streak in, in someone... You know, like Ethan Finley on the flank, who's who's playing, he looked like he was playing some of the best ball of his career, or even since maybe three or four years ago uh, when he was with Columbus. Uh, I thought him alongside Amaria up front was excellent. Kevin Molino pulling the strings mm. with, with a goal too. Huge credit to them. For me, they probably stand out as the side that got the best result to go away to a place like Portland, raucous atmosphere. And, and pick up all three points. I think it's massive for Minnesota. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. The final thing I think I'll talk about is Thierry Henry, uh, Montreal. Yes. We saw what they've done in the CONCACAF Champions League. And, you know, they come away with a solid win against Bruce Arena's New England Revolution 2-1. Listen, again, obviously the, the theme and the sentiment, it's going to be that it's just week one. Obviously, there's a lot more uh, soccer to be played. But, you know, they look good. And the thing about Thierry Henry is that it wasn't long ago you know, when, you know, he took his first stint with Monaco. And I think he's learned a lot of lessons since then. Um, yeah. They look really pragmatic, really adaptable. Um, the system changes in accordance to who they're playing, which actually says a lot about how Thierry Henry is learning. And with no necessary stars with Montreal, uh, you know, yeah. they're, they're looking like, like a good team. Again, it's very early, but the signs are telling me that Thierry Henry is finding a good, uh, you know, antidote for the past seasons with Montreal and vice versa, revitalizing his career, his early coaching career. What do you think? There's a lot of incomplete rosters in Major League Soccer right now. Certainly Montreal is one of those. Looking at the squad and the team that, that took on New England, I thought to myself, this is not good enough. Thierry Henry is going to grow frustrated at the lack of quality in this squad. But you're right to point that out, that he changes within the game. And also, if you can get a tune out of Maxi Arruti, you're doing really, really well. This is a guy who doesn't score goals. He's a great link-up guy, but traditionally and and, and historically, you look at the years involved in Major League Soccer, Arruti's not a good goal scorer, and yet he finishes that chance absolutely brilliantly. There's another cracker of a goal we barely touched on, is uh, Arruti lobbing the goalkeeper in the 80th minute at Olympic Stadium brilliant crowd in Montreal uh, and it's one thing that I, I don't know if people listening really understand the, the culture and the fan base within Montreal there's a huge amount of pressure on this team to succeed there's a big amount of pressure on Joey Saputo and when this team performs well everyone in Montreal is all in 
Yeah. When this team is poor and when there's a lack of ambition about the side, people in Montreal grow frustrated and they will walk away from the team. Yeah. So it, it's an emotional fan base, but it's an incredibly educated fan base when it comes to the game. You know, I'll never forget being there and seeing Patrice Bernier take a ball down his chest and spray a pass. Everybody in the stadium, Astad Saputo, was on their feet applauding Patrice Bernier. There, there's, there's just this this love for the game in Montreal that's very evident. And that's why, from what I'm hearing from a good buddy up in Montreal, Olivier Brett, Henri's settled in brilliantly so far. He's been excellent with the media. He's been very forthcoming with information on, on how he approaches setting up his team and, uh, and speaking to guys in the media that he trusts. And, and Olivier is one of these guys that knows the game inside out and he'd earn the respect of Henri, say. And uh, I, I'm, I'm excited because I thought this would be a disaster and it may very well be in time because... Henri is such a big ego, and Joey Saputo has such a big ego. Yeah. And when those egos collide, that may not be pretty. But for now, at least, that's a wonderful start for Montreal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well said. And Montreal, by the way, is one of my favorite cities in the world. It's just full of great people. So we'll see what happens there. Listen, normally uh, we do questions at the very end, but our good friend, our good, 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 I know you know her very well, good friend Kay Murray, who also co-hosted this show with me earlier, uh, sent us a question, and it's MLS-related, so we might as well just add it right here. She wanted to know your picks, Kev, for MLS this season, beginning with, um, you know, who you think is going to be... Let, let's talk about standout stars. Who, who, who you think is going to really pay... You know, we need to pay more attention to. Pay more attention to? That's a, that's the good way of putting it, because we could, we could sit here, we could state the obvious. Carlos Vela, for me, I'm going to state the obvious here. I still think he'll win gold and do it again because yep, I, I think LA Galaxy will score by committee. I think Pavon, as we saw at the weekend, is going to be much more of a threat. Uh, Alexander Katai, Chicharito, um, Lejet, they're going to score in groups. Chicharito will still score, I believe, 20-plus goals in the league this year. But Carlos Vela has the potential to go to another level altogether. And he scored, what was it, 34 goals in the regular season last year. Passing Joseph uh, Martinez, which is amazing. Yeah, I think he'll I think he'll win the gold and move comfortably without Joseph Martinez playing this season now. Yeah. So in terms of standout stars, how about how about one or two new guys to keep an eye on? I always think that's a good way of looking at it. And one guy that caught my eye over the weekend, Gaddy Kinda. Mm. Who is Gaddy Kinda? He scored an absolutely brilliant goal for Sporting Kansas City, who had a horrible season last year. FKC. They go away to Vancouver. They win three one. Gaddy Kinda is uh, born in Ethiopia. Uh, he comes across the Sporting Kansas City from Jerusalem, and he's a, a, a kind of a an intricate, quick ball player who's who catches the eye. And he scored a worldie. The ball was pulled back to him. He had no right to take a shot on his left foot from that <laughs> angle, and he scored. And I just think he's someone that could catch the eye here as a shrewd, brilliant pickup by Peter Vermees. The other one is uh, Lucas Zellerian. Yep. You mentioned him already um, with Columbus Crew. And, and I'm going to go with my outside pick for MLS Cup this year. I'm going to go with Columbus. Because wow. I, I just think the way, the way they've strengthened their team with the coach that they have now in, in, with more experience for Caleb Porter yeah. in Columbus. He's a really tough guy to work with, uh, Caleb Porter, because he demands so much respect and he demands the best. Uh, and I've heard he, he can be a tricky guy to deal with. But they go and they beat NYCFC, the favorites for the Eastern Conference, you would say, in their first game. And I think the way they do it was impressive. But also, Zellerian pulling the strings. He's your Iguain replacement, which is very difficult, obviously. But Darlington Nagby in midfield was Atlanta's best player, arguably, last year. And he's now back in Ohio where he wants to be. 
And they're a strong team from, from top to bottom. I firmly believe that this is a side that can absolutely compete. I, I reckon they'll finish thir- second or third in the Eastern Conference. And once they get further, they've got the experience to, to win it all, I think. You know what? It's not a, a, a crazy thing to say because look at what happened last year's MLS Cup. Nobody really predicted that was going to be the final. And Columbus Crew, as you said, has all the tools now. Lucas Salarayamba is going to be my, my, my player to watch. I mean, we've talked about him before and I completely agree. Listen, this is somebody that came from Tigres and, and an overloaded Tigres. And really, he was just a victim of an overload of talent. And now he's going to come to Crew and he's going to deliver. This kid can play. He is so yeah. fearless. And, um, you know, you saw a little bit of it uh, this weekend. Caleb Porter, we've interviewed him before, and he's just he's a no-nonsense guy who all he wants to do is is just win, but win in a way that's kind of um, sort of not, not, not a bully, but he wants to physicalize you and really just get in your face. And, and when you have that stadium behind you uh, and those fans, you know, anything can happen. Absolutely. I'm with you there. My, the question, ad- on, my, yeah. question, my question on them really quick is Jassy's artist. Because you, you've got Mokhtar, Zellerayan, you've got Pedro Santos, you've got lots of options in behind. And I think the most underrated midfielder in the league for years and years and years for me has been Artur, alongside Will Trapp. I, I felt that the Brazilian made Trapp a better player. Mm. And now you add Nagby alongside Artur, you've got Mensa still at the back. I think you've got the best fullbacks in the league in Awful and Valenzuela. Uh, and Room is a very good goalkeeper now uh, in the second season. So I think they're complete. If Zardes fails to score, now you're relying a little bit more on Fernando Addy, yeah. who you brought over from Cincinnati, who Caleb Porter, again, got a big tune out of him, got him playing well when he had him at Portland. So he, he's an interesting character as a whole, Fernando Addy. So if you can get something out of him, my pick is Columbus to surprise many people this year. Yeah, they have a proper squad, not just a starting eleven, but a proper yeah. squad. That's right. Absolutely. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, moving on. Let's uh, leave uh, the continent and move to the Premier League. Uh, obviously, uh, there was so much action that the Premier League, in many ways, um, you know, took a little time. Obviously, the League Cup, uh, you know, made some postponements and some matches, but there was a big one: Watford, Watford fighting for its life in the Premier League. Watford defeated Liverpool 3 nothing, And to be honest with you, when you look at the tape, it wasn't even close. Watford was all over Liverpool. Uh, Jurgen Klopp talked about such an amateurish performance uh, from his side. Uh, obviously, you know, I think that any sane person will tell you that this is a, still going to be the Liverpool trophy, the Premier League trophy. But it was a pretty uh, underwhelming, to say the least, performance. But listen, like the other thing that I tweeted was we cannot take away what Nigel Pearson did specifically this yeah. this weekend i mean they were closing every single gap when and they made liverpool play narrow and liverpool hates to play narrow trent alexander arnold and andrew robertson couldn't really get their game going or cross as much as they wanted mohamed salah struggled with space the same with sadio mané firmino was struggling and watford was just all over you and they just hit you on the counter and now they find themselves out of the relegation battle and that's a 3 nothing against liverpool what did you make of that 
It was hard to fathom, and I'm watching the game at home, and I listened to and watched the analysis. Robbie Musto and Colin Martino with the Recolo on NBC, and I thought they were spot on. It's so unbelievably rare to see a performance like this from Liverpool, and it was top to bottom. It was Jurgen Klopp on the sideline. He, he didn't look himself. In the post-game interview, the way he was leaning against the wall, I thought that was an interesting observation from Colin Martino, and spot on as well. It's just a different demeanour from Jurgen Klopp. Mm. Then on the field, when you have Alisson making fundamental mistakes, Virgil van Dijk looked off, Dejan Lovren shocking. Th- those performances you can mask if Salah has a worldie, if Mane is electric. It just didn't happen. And you're right to point out the tactics, but I think Liverpool, out of all the teams I've ever seen in the Premier League, this Liverpool team has a way of adjusting to different tactics. And if some team wants to play now, well, you know, we're going to keep Robertson and we're going to keep Alexander-Arnold as wide as possible. And they have the ability to play to each other if need be. But but we're going to find a way around this team. And for them to lose to Watford, it, it is a masterstroke from Pearson, but it's also just a it, it, it's a major failure on behalf of Liverpool. It has to it has to be said it is to go away to Vicarage Road and be so unbelievably outplayed to have one shot on target in the entire game. That's a failure on behalf of Liverpool. And 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 if we just want to focus on that, just that ninety minutes, that's what we can say about it. Now let's focus on the rest of the season because Liverpool already have twenty six wins. Arsenal are having fun with Liverpool about the invincible season. Guess what? In 03-04, when Arsenal won the league, they finished with 26 wins. Liverpool are going to go far beyond that. They're going to have a much, much better season than Arsenal did in 03-04, but they need to regroup now. They've got an FA Cup clash against Chelsea, a Bournemouth game in the Premier League before Atletico Madrid come to Anfield, and that is a huge, huge game now against a side that will have their tails up, that you know, know how to defend. It's it's a crucial time of the season for Liverpool just to regroup and realise we're a special group here. We don't need to get too down about one loss. Yeah, no, well said. And here are the next few matches, as you mentioned, Chelsea in the FA Cup, which is on Tuesday, then Liverpool host Bournemouth. Uh, Atleti comes to Anfield uh, March 11th, and then you have the Merseyside Derby, uh, and then followed by Crystal Palace and Man City. So, you know, there's still a, a lot of time, but y- y- you correctly pointed out that this was just uh, an unidentifiable Liverpool playing against Watford and on the other side now you know you look at this relegation battle and I know I have to touch on it just because we have two Villa fans right now and (laughs) to be honest with you this is something that I've been telling a lot of people the whole time for a long time it's not a battle amongst like four teams or even five teams Kev this is a ridiculous relegation battle right now. And it says a lot about, I don't know, the quality of the very bottom or the you know exceptionalism of the very top. I don't know what it is, but when you look at the bottom, so 18th is Bournemouth with 27 points, Villa with 25 with a game in hand, and Norwich City with 21, who also got a vital win. But then after that, Watford is out of the bottom three, West Ham in 16th. They also have 27 points. But listen, Brighton and Newcastle, Newcastle hasn't scored a goal since January 18th, I believe, and Brighton hasn't won a game since December 28th. And they're still in it because Newcastle has 32 points, Brighton has 28. So this is a battle about who is going, and there's still plenty of points to be given. Yes, there's only 11 matches left, but that's still a lot of points, specifically when it comes to this margin. It's only a two-point um, no, I'm sorry, 32. Is, there's only like a five-point differential between Newcastle and 18th, and a lot can still happen. So, Luis, get off the fence here. Take away your heart and your pride in Aston Villa and give me a prediction. Who gets relegated? I, I, I assume you're going to go with Norwich. Yep. Who are the other two teams? 
Norwich City is going down. I, I'm sorry to say, Norwich fans, I think there's, it's commendable what you guys are doing right now, uh, especially with that win. But I just think it's too much of a mountain to climb. Um, I think the way that I see it, I think Bournemouth will also stay in, in the bottom three. And if I have to really take my heart out I, and just be a neutral pundit, I have to say Villa is the third one. Um, I ju- it's nothing to do with the heart. I just think that... Um, Specifically, key injuries throughout the seasons, uh, you know, John McGinn, etc., have been have been an issue. But also, just the toughness, the mm-hmm. toughness of schedule, in, which included a League Cup final, might just be so much. I mean, still have to play away at Leicester, still has to play Liverpool, still has to play Chelsea at home. Even though they're not doing great, they're still a top five team. You know, Arsenal away at West Ham. So there's a lot of tough games. So I'm trying to say and stay optimistic and say with my heart that we'll stay alive but I don't know I just think it seems too difficult what about you? I think Villa will survive actually oh God, thank Lord thank Lord one of you here. says it I, I do because I think there's something very special about, about Villa right now and Dean Smith and it may not seem that way I, I've, I've watched as many games as I possibly can this year and at times I think how unlucky have Aston Villa been not to take something away from this game and I, and I know it sounds ridiculous as a Villa fan people are going to listen to this and say you're biased but to have your manager and to have your captain as lifelong Villa fans, to, they're in this together. This is a unified group. Like this, this group is not going anywhere. And when it comes down to the final stretch, the final 10 games of the season, if you're not together, you'll be found out. And yeah. I think this Villa group is together, and I think Dean Smith is the right guy. For me, I'm going to pick Norwich, I'm going to pick Bournemouth, and I think Brighton. Like you rightly say, Brighton on 28 points. They look pretty right now. If you were to look at the standings, they're in 15th place. But they're only one point above the relegation zone. Yeah. And as you say, they haven't won since when? Since, since December 28th. Yeah. So, so, so they're trending in the wrong direction. If they can't figure it out, I think Brighton gets dragged in alongside Bournemouth and Norwich. And I, I say Villa stay up. And hopefully that's the case for someone. I, I, I admire what Dean Smith has done. You know what? I changed my mind. We're staying up. Come on, Villa. Woo-hoo! Come on, Villa. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, Brighton has Wolves to play. Uh, Leicester City, Man United, away at Norwich, which is still going to be a fight. Liverpool still has to play Liverpool and Man City. So, I don't know. It's it's just going to be very, very difficult. But one thing is for certain, for anybody that's having this conversation and arguing about, about the relegation battle, which is, you know, for all these teams, it's not a battle between four teams or even five. There are seven in this yeah. in this in this race right now that's trying to stay alive. All right, so uh, moving away from that, let's talk about the League Cup final uh, at Wembley on Sunday. Manchester City two, Aston Villa one. Man City was uh, leading for the majority of the first half, two nothing goals from Sergio Aguero and Rodri, and at two nothing, Kev. I was like, this is going to be five now. Uh, just, yeah. I, I thought that Dean Smith's tactics of sitting too deep, especially in the first half, was was a little worrisome. I understood and I understand that when you play a team like Man City, and especially at Wembley because it's such a wide pitch, as somebody correctly stated to me on Twitter, it's very difficult to press for 90 minutes. But my issue was that for the first 45, we weren't even doing any kind of selecting pressing. We were just sitting, just completely absorbing the pressure. And I didn't like that. And then in the 40th minute, John Stones falls down like he's ice skating. And Anwar El-Ghazi picks up the ball, crosses the ball in for Mbawana Samata Samagol to make it 2-1. And at halftime, I'm thinking, we can do this. What were you thinking? 
I was thinking, get me to a TV so I can watch properly. Because <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in I was in World Sport from from twelve to twelve thirty, so the game started at eleven thirty Eastern Time US. So it was difficult for me. I was back and forth, but yeah, I looked at the score and, and I, I caught the uh, the Rodrigo goal. Rodri puts it away, and you're thinking it's curtains. Good night. Now they respond uh, somewhat against the run of play with Samadis' goal. Question for you because there, it's so rare to find someone who heads the ball in such a clean and sweet way. Who else stands out to you in world football or even in previous years that heads the ball as cleanly as Samata does? He's just got this unbelievable connection. Yeah. And he's a brilliant header of the ball. And he's not even that tall. Like, the way he connected with that ball, there was no chance for Bravo and goal. Yeah, absolutely. No, Alan, he... Shearer, Alan Shearer is one that I think back to my, my days as a young uh, fan watching, that every time the ball was in the air, you just fancy Shearer to, to body his way onto it. And then his, his ability to use his neck muscles and to, to, to perfectly arc a header into the top corner was just simply sensational. Um, and Samata, there's something special about this guy, isn't there? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he's the first uh, Tanzanian to play in the Premier League. Um, he has his whole country behind him. It's just a joy to have another African player uh, in the league. And with Villa, obviously, we have marvellous Nakamba as well from Zimbabwe. But yeah, he's just a talent. I remember he scored a goal against Liverpool in the Champions League, but it was called offside. But there was such a power to that header that like Alisson yeah. did not see it coming. And rightly, as you said, he's such a talent. But the thing I like about him is because, you know, he plays by himself a lot of the time. You know, we overload that midfield and he works so hard and he did that against City in the League Cup final. And then the second half happened and honestly, Villa rattled City a lot of the time. I mean, yeah. it took a very good save and the post for Claudio Bravo to stop Bjorn Engels' header from a corner and it ended 2-1. Obviously disappointed, but the thing that I liked a lot was Dean Smith gathered the entire staff and team together in a huddle at the very end, and you could tell you knew what the message was. Use this passion. Use this fire for the remainder of the season. This is exactly what I expect week in and week out because you really played your hearts out, and, and they did. Yeah, 11 games left for Aston Villa. I reckon if Villa can pick up, even in those 11 games, you pick up four wins, you're good to go because that would get you then to 37 points, and you'd figure there'd be a few draws in there as well. Um, you may see a team get relegated, like West Ham did in, in a previous year, yeah. with 40-plus points. You may see that this year, uh, but you're absolutely right. I think, I think this sort of a run can galvanize a team, and, and you'd like to think it will do with Dean Smith in charge. And hopefully Villa can go again. For Manchester City, though, you certainly saw some of their vulnerabilities uh, late on in that game as Villa put on the press and just looked to try and get that equaliser, which was... Uh, you know, didn't look likely, let's be honest, when Rodrigo scored uh, in the first half, that Villa would even be in contention. So it's going to be interesting to see how Manchester City build on this and look ahead to the Champions League because they've got their work cut out. Honestly, Real Madrid didn't perform well against City in the Champions League, but I think you're going to see a different Los Blancos side. A Real Madrid side, for me, that are nearly better away from home than they are at home. So for people ruling out Real Madrid already after a 2-1 loss to Bernabeu, I say buckle up, you're about to see a great game at the Etihad. Well, well, let's finish with El Clásico. Um, we, we, as you rightly said, uh, you know, this is a Real Madrid that can definitely wake up when it wants to. But, you know, they won 2 nothing against Barcelona. Um, 
goals from Vinicius Jr. and Mariano Diaz, Spanish-Dominican Mariano Diaz. It was great uh, to see him score. Uh, Gerard Piquet was uh, you know, interviewing in the mix on to reporters right after the game, and he basically said, listen, this was the worst Real Madrid I've ever played in the first half. But then he added and said, listen, it's, it's about both teams too. We both have problems. And that was my point. Obviously, El Clásico is such a great spectacle one of the biggest sporting events let alone soccer sporting events you know watched by millions around the world but this season has been really disappointing uh the december reverse fixture was zero zero and it was awful uh just really not not a good game and and yesterday i really saw another imperfect disjointed scratchy as jonathan wilson calls it for us in sports illustrated kind of game where you know, there was more about the physicality. It was more like a boxing fight than anything yeah, to do yeah. more with talent and aesthetics. Now, listen, there's there's talent there. Obviously, Vinicius Jr. is incredible. 19 years old. It was definitely the best performance he has given for Los Blancos. And, you know, Federico Valverde, Ansu Fati, there is talent. But I'm wondering, Kev, and I would love your opinion that, you know, there is something that's maybe dying recently when it comes to a classical. And I don't know if it's because of the over-reliance on an aging Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo's exit, of course, and just the fact that both academies in recent years have not really, you know, developed the Busquets, the Iniestas, the Xavi's, the Messi's, right? Uh, and the same thing can be said for, for the other side. We've got great talent in Real Madrid, obviously, Lucas Vasquez and Isco, uh, you know, but I'm wondering if the magic of El Clásico, especially this year, which is kind of a mirror of what's been going on in La Liga, to be honest, is, is, is slowing down a little bit. I think it's very important to recognize golden eras when they come around and El Clasico has always been special but I go back to the last time before yesterday that Real Madrid beat Barcelona in a Clasico I was there I was on the sideline it was my first Clasico it was April 2016 and Zinedine Zidane had recently taken over I happened to be the seat closest to Zinedine Zidane how crazy is that? I, I, I couldn't amazing. believe my look. Yeah. That I was, I, I mean, I was, I was ruining and kicking myself that I didn't speak Spanish because <laughs> I, was, I was sitting next to my producer, Marco Miranda, at the time I was working with B in Sports. And uh, Zidane was so animated on the line at times, then he was so composed. But that, that Clasico, for example, listen, listen to some of the names. It's only going back four years ago, not even four years ago. You had, you know, Iniesta alongside Busquets, again, a little bit younger than they are today. Uh, Messi, Neymar and Suarez up front. For, for Real Madrid, you had a firing Cristiano Ronaldo alongside Bale and Benzema. So it was the MSN versus the BBC at its peak. That's not there anymore. Yeah. And, and, and Messi certainly is older. Messi will be 33 in June. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, cool to see him there in attendance yesterday watching, but... but Times have moved on a little bit. Barcelona have recruited in an awful way. The identity of the club has, has, has dwindled a little bit uh, and disintegrated. And a lot of that has to do with Bartomeu. You, you are not bringing through the talent that you, you once did. And sometimes you just have to recognize that golden generation. And, and those players may not be coming through. But they also may be there. That, you know, you've got to give chances to an Ansu Fadi, which I'm glad Barcelona are doing. But to, to bring in and to, to, to say, for example, spend the, the loose, um, when, when, when they sold uh, Neymar, mm. to spend the money the way they did, I thought was really poor. They yeah. rushed into decisions and they didn't get it right. And they did the same thing in, in years gone by as well. And I just, 
I just feel Barcelona have been running a very poor way. Real Madrid have, in many ways, gone to the Barcelona way of bringing through younger players, but they're still splashing on guys that just feel unnecessary. And they've certainly gone for the younger South American player an awful lot more of late. Um, Rodrigo and Vinicius being two that have featured heavily this year. And uh, what's the name of the player they signed recently? Renard, is it? Yeah, Reinhard, um, yeah, Renier, yeah. Yeah, Reinhard, yeah, yeah, another player for a lot of money. The identity of both teams is in flux, I think. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's important to point that out, but the quality is just not as good as it was maybe four or five years ago. In saying that, I certainly wouldn't rule out either side for Champions League this year. Oh, absolutely, which says a lot about uh, just the the flux of, of, of the Champions League, right? I mean, you talk about the history of El Clasico. I'll never forget 2005 when... Uh, Real Madrid fans were pretty much forced to stand up and give a standing ovation to Ronaldinho after his performance when he scored two goals, Samuel Eto scoring the first one. I mean, that was a game where it had David Beckham, uh, Raul, Zidane, Robinho, Ronaldo. And then on the other mm-hmm. side, you had Ronaldinho, Eto, a young Messi, Xavi, Rafa Marquez, Deco. I mean, think about that. Think about those kind of games. And like you said, now, because of the business and behind the scenes, what's going on with both clubs, to be honest, you know, Real Madrid decided to, you know, two years ago to kind of rethink the Galactico concept and really just focus more on Spanish-based players. And the Barcelona side, like you said, I mean, as of recently, last summer, I thought it was such a mistake to bring Chris Griezmann. I'm sorry. I, don't, I think that that yeah. money could have been better spent on, you know, focusing on other places. But... You know, I think that a lot of it also has to do with the fact that, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo's exit and we have to be realistic and face the fact that the genius of Lionel Messi is not going to be there forever. And we need to... Don't say that, Luis. Don't say <laughs> that. I'm already mourning his loss. I know. It's really sad. And you know what, Kev? I say it every weekend. I know that, like... We say it all the time to say don't take it for granted, but I feel like we need to say it, like, five times a day. This is a person that's going to change, that changed the game and will change it again when he eventually leaves. And we need to really yeah. realize that. So, yeah. I, I honestly, but I, I, my, people think I'm a Barcelona fan on Twitter because <laughs> I, I, Barcelona are appointment viewing for me because of Lionel Messi. Yeah. And that's the power of the individual brand, the blockbuster brand that is Lionel Messi. But it's just, he's just pure genius. If, if you're a football fan, how do you not watch that? And just marvel at the passes he's able to see a 360 vision, and when he does go away and when he does leave Barcelona, right now you would think are setting themselves up to be a little bit of a shambles the way they've been recruiting, uh, and the identity of the club has, as I mentioned, dwindled. So I, I'm intrigued to see how it all plays out. But I hope I would love to see Lionel Messi one day come to Major League Soccer. Oh, it'd be amazing! Because I'd I'd love to see him just move somewhere else, give it a go. And if we're to believe reports that he did buy a penthouse suite in Miami. There were reports of this about two months ago. Luis, I could see that penthouse from my old apartment in Miami. He would have to take Tiago and Mateo to kick a ball at my local park where I'd go every morning to kick a ball in Miami. I mean, he's having a laugh, Luis, and I left Miami. Like, I might just move back just well, for that. I was that just going to say, if Messi comes to Miami, <laughs> I'm moving to Miami. I don't care. And by the way, Mateo would destroy that park. It takes an hour yeah, for it. Sure. He's such a Dennis the Menace. But no, I, listen, yeah. it's not unrealistic. I remember talking to Sergei Busquets last year, and he's like, to him, like MLS is really intriguing. So they're talking about it. This is a conversation a lot with all these players and yeah. it's not completely unrealistic to ever suggest that Lionel Messi might come to MLS I do think though that he might go to his beloved Argentina before that 
Uh, but you never, never know. Well, Kev, is listen, we're about to wrap up here, but I would love to hear your thoughts on just, you know, what you're thinking for the remaining of the year. We got the European Championships, obviously, this summer, another Copa America, uh, World Cup qualifiers uh, beginning this month, actually. Is there anything that you're looking forward to um, as we as we look ahead to 2020? Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly on the international front, I think look look for me, Ireland. If they could somehow make it to the Euros, I think it's a, it's a distant hope at this point. They've got to win two away games in, in a qualifier to get there, and the Irish team right now is is, is at a, a fairly poor standard. Let's be honest. So we'll see if that happens. I'd like to see the US really click into gear under Berhalter, and and hopefully we see Gio Reyna. Uh, get into the team, Pulisic, and you, you start to see some of these younger guys click and bring hope to everybody that the US can actually start performing at a much better level and start winning games. On the club scene, the Champions League fascinates me more than ever before because I, I, I honestly don't know who's going to win it this year. And my favourite as of right now, because you know we're always we've always got that recency bias and that in the moment feeling. It's Bayern Munich. What mm. Hansi Flick has done there has been next-level phenomenal. The fact that they missed Lewandowski over the weekend, he plays uh, Zerksi, an 18-year-old, for his first start. He scores. They win 5-0. Five, 5 or 6. I think it was 5-0. Uh, Coutinho with a brace. What he's managed to do in the performance at, uh, at Chelsea uh, has just been remarkable. So good for him, Alfonso Davies, and, and everyone at Bayern Munich. And the Champions League, I, I can't wait to see how it plays out. So I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited that we have this beautiful game that we get to talk about for a living, Louise. We're very lucky. I don't take that for granted for one second. And uh, yeah, it's just been a lot of fun talking to you today. Well, I think we're ended just like that. We are so lucky to enjoy this beautiful game of ours. Kevin Egan, you can catch him calling games with Fox Sports South for Atlanta United and also CNN World Sports. Kev, thanks so much, my friend. You're a gem, Luis. Thanks for having me, bud. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next week.